Come along on a journey toward wisdom. How miraculous it is that this little moment, 13.7 billion years ago, that generated everything that we see around us and things we don't even understand, that that would, from that simple formula, evolve into us and our ability to think and question and, and search and be a seeker. This is Seeker with Dave Jenks. I'm Matt Hayes. So let's talk about us. What do we know about life here on this planet? It's an interesting thing, Matt, because here's another thing that we don't know. What we know is that we're an extension of a process, and that process began with simple bacteria and single-cell entities that existed for a billion years, and then they started to move into what are called eukaryote beings, which are really cells that have nuclei and have other organelles inside. So they're like a cell with a bunch of other cells inside. And then those began to go into multicellular animals or entities. They were all in the water, they were all in the ocean, and then they began to, not that long ago, 500, 600 million years ago, to start to merge out onto land. Some of those beings became amphibious, and then others became like dinosaurs, where they were mostly on land animals. And at the same time, based on the same DNA, trees and flora started to grow on the land masses, and we have all of the diversity we have. And so what's important to understand is while we don't know precisely how evolution occurred, in fact, it's going to, I want to talk about that a little bit in what we don't know, but what we do know is that you can look pretty logically at any evidence we have, and you can see the leftover fossils and evidence of increasingly complex organisms that go down different trails, and that becomes this tree of life. So some of them go into birds, some of them go into fish, some of them go into mammals of various kinds, and of course, ultimately through primates, into Homo sapiens, us. So the interesting thing about that, when you get down to the cellular level, and we probably could have talked about this in the sense of the universe, because we looked at the very big, but when you look at the very small, I mean, they once asked Richard Feynman, what, what one thing could you say about the universe that would be true? And he said, everything is made of atoms. And so when you realize is that atoms are just these little elements with protons and neutrons and electrons spinning around them, and they simply work on numbers. So you name the element, uh, which is an atom, by the number of protons it has. And it typically has an equal number of neutrons, but sometimes more, and that's called an isotope. But the point is that each one has its own unique characteristics. Some of them are gases, some of them are metals, some of them like carbon are kind of in between. The complexity of all of these elements come together and form molecules, and then molecules form things that can be involved in chemistry, that can be involved in geology, like rocks, and ultimately can be involved in life. Now, within this, and this is where I think you really kind of get the miracle of life, within it there is this phenomena called DNA. The double helix, which is, it's in every cell of every living being, and it has its own formula for what that being or that entity, that plant or that animal, is like, how it will grow. It's amazing when you think about it, Matt, that a spermatozoa and an egg come together in a woman to form the beginning of a human being. That That's just two cells. It's just two cells. And nine months later, it's 37 trillion cells, and those cells each have different functions. I mean, there's probably three or four hundred at least different 
types of cells in the body. They each have very specific functions. They have different shapes. They do things that are very unique, some for a short period of time, some for the life of the animal, of the being. And yet, all of that comes from the joining of these two cells. I mean, how does that happen? It is miraculous. And we say, oh, it's done through DNA, but there's a throw-off. So, you know, that, does that make it less miracle because you can call it DNA and that you can study DNA? We are just as beings, not to mention the, the world we're a part of, the earth we're a part of, or the universe we're a part of. I mean, we really are a miracle. So what don't we know? This is a lot of information of what we know and so much fascinating information that has been explored and discovered over the you know last couple hundred years. But what, what don't we know at this point about ourselves and our, and our world and our planet? There's a lot we don't know. There's an amazing amount. In fact, I always think science would be better off to tell us what they don't know yet versus what they think they do. Everyone wants to talk about, oh, yeah, we know this and this is true and maybe this is true and this little research tends, shows that there's a tendency for this drug to do this and all of that. We get down into the minutia. But here's what we don't know. Big stuff. We do not know what 90% of the universe is made of. It's called dark matter and dark energy. We don't know. I mean, we've studied this thing. Unbelievably, we know somewhere around 5 to 7% of what's out there. We can see it. Stars, galaxies, planets, all this stuff. We can see it. We can measure it. We can know it. But there's 90% of it that is what's called dark matter. And it, we know it exists because if it didn't exist, galaxies would fly apart. Galaxies wouldn't come together. Planets would fly off of their solar system. We would not stay going around the sun if there was not amazing amounts, 10 times probably the mass of whatever's in our solar system is spinning around out there outside our solar system, kind of holding us in gravitationally, holding us in. And that's true all through the universe. So we don't know that. We don't know what it is. We can't find it. We've got a lot of theories, but we've not discovered what it is. Can't measure it. Don't know what it is. So there's 90% of the universe. We don't even know what it is now. Also part of that is what's called dark energy. And what that means is our universe is expanding at a rate that it shouldn't be expanding. We should be contracting because of the force of gravity, which we do know, but it's not. So there is some sort of force in deep space, in empty space, that's pushing galaxies apart, that's overcoming gravity and causing us to separate. We don't know what that energy is. We don't know what's causing it. All we know is the evidence of it, and it's there. So there's that realm. If we come down into life, one thing we don't know is we don't know the diversity of our planet. The estimate right now, Matt, is that there are 10 to 12 million species. If human beings are a species, and wolves are a species, and alligators are another species, and insects, and fish, and all of that, birds, there are 10 to 12 million, and we've only identified and written about about 1.8 million of those. So less than one in six or seven species do we really know, identified and all of that. So there is so much diversity of life that we don't know. We know it's there, we just haven't studied it. So there's so much that we don't know even about the biosphere, what's here. The final thing we don't know, Matt, and this, this amazes me that people don't make a bigger deal of this. We don't know how to do life. So we sit here and say, here's all this inorganic material, minerals, gases, all this stuff that was part of the early universe. And life came out of that? DNA came out of that? 
Oh yeah, they say, you know, it was the primordial soup and a uh, lightning bolt hit it and created this life. Well, that would sound pretty miraculous to start with, right? But we don't even know that, Matt. And for all our science today, we can play with DNA, we can play with genetics, we can play with drugs, we can play with a lot of things scientifically, but here's one thing we cannot do. We can't create life. We can't. We cannot, in some lab, get together the inorganic materials and create life, even a one-cell organism. We can't even do that for all our science. So man, talk about a thing we don't know. We don't know how to create life. We don't know how it was created. Then the final thing I just want to say is we really don't know how evolution works. We have a wonderful theory that all these things started in the last 600 million years, and they started with these simple little organisms, and those went into big things like reptiles and dinosaurs and fishes, and then ultimately through primates to us. And we have enough kind of maybe evidence for that, but here's what we don't know. How did that process evolve so fast? How did we create the complexity of the human eye, the complexity of the digestive system? When you look at the complexity of a human being and how all of the systems of a body work to stay in homeostasis with nothing in control, nothing in control. There is no central controlling agency. We think of the brain as that, but the brain isn't. The brain's a thought mechanism. It's the creation of mind and consciousness and awareness, but it's not controlling in a controlled sense, all the systems of the body, they're operating independently, but in coordination. So here's the point though. How did we get to something this complicated, this amazingly complicated? Here's why we, we don't know this. Because we can take bacteria, which multiply multiple times a day, and we can take them through as many generations as we know, say, that Homo sapiens have been through in maybe a few months. We can take them through that many generations, and we can put on that bacteria a certain pressure in other words, if it can do a certain thing, it'll survive better in that environment. So we give it a sort of survival of the fittest exercise. And we put it through that, and guess what? It won't change. I mean, it does change, but its changes aren't always in the right direction. In the end, it's now better off in general than it was at the beginning of all these generations. So here's the thing, Matt. We don't know. We do not know what drives evolution in the direction it's going. We have all this information, Dave, but where can all this information that we get go wrong? Where can this scientific process go wrong? Real science, Matt, takes integrity. It takes being honest with yourself and being honest with your numbers and being honest with your research. So over the history of science, there have been people who tried to say they had proved something that they really hadn't. And when that was checked against peer research and others, sometimes they found that they had fudged their numbers or they had just inherently interpreted those numbers in a way or they had designed the experiment to create the end they wanted. There's a certain integrity in science, which is why they have something called peer review. It's why the history of science is, involves a lot of collaboration, also competition amongst groups because they want to call each other out on their mistakes or their errors. And it's led to a lot, historically, a lot of arguments and and even some violence of people who had different ideas. But that hammers you out the truth. Now, science can go wrong if they are faking you out about what they've discovered. So that's why we have to stay skeptical and say, oh yeah, and who else says that? And particularly if the claim is one that's kind of unusual or provocative, you got to so really, oh, so really, that's what you think is what happens. Who else says so? What other science proves that. Dwight David Eisenhower warned us of this in the 1950s when he was president. He warned us of the military-industrial complex, but he also warned us of the scientific government 
complex. He said, when you get government funding science, you are going to get scientists telling the government what they want to know. Also, it's not just government. It can be big other entities. So there was all this research in the early days of the tobacco situation where it was supposedly proving that tobacco had no deleterious effect on humans. And finally, we overcame that. Same thing with leaded gas. Uh, leaded gas was poisoning the atmosphere and really causing death and bad health. Again, the, the oil companies try and, tried to defend it. No, no, there's no sign. This is all just, you know, these are just wild people uh, out against the oil industry. And in fact, we found out that it did. And of course, now we don't have leaded gasoline anymore. And we've cleaned up the air. And the same thing with hydrofluorocarbons and the, uh, and the ozone layer. So sometimes we have to be careful. But the same is true, Matt. Right now, there's a whole thing going on about global warming because so much science has been paid for by government to show that there's human-initiated global warming that we need to do big things about to correct, i.e. pay a lot more taxes and have a lot more regulation. Now, that can be a whole different discussion we can have in the realm of governance. Okay, But what I'm going to say is that anything that pays off the scientists to get to certain answers, we have to be very careful about that because they can mislead us. So Dave, with all of this knowledge that you've gained from all this research over the years, how has this affected your thoughts? How, how has this affected your life? First of all, Matt, it's enriched it. It's so joyful for me to explore these new ideas and, and read the kind of journalistic books that have summarized. I can't read the hard science books because it's beyond me, but when I get a good scientific journalist or like Bill Bryson's book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, that's just a wonderful book on the evolution of science and what we've come to know and how. When I get to read that kind of stuff, I mean, it just, it lifts me up and it opens me up and I love it. So one is I love it. Number two is I think I've learned to be uh, more rational and skeptical and careful and can't be sold on things and can't be marketed on things. But Matt, I think the final thing, and it's going to lead us really into our next discussion, which is spirituality and religion. And that is, I think that the more you study the real world, whether it's the universe or the earth or human biology, or all of that, the more you understand, and I was hinting at this in what we don't know, the more you understand the magnificence of this life that we get to live, and how miraculous it is, even from a scientific point of view, how miraculous it is that this little moment, 13.7 billion years ago, that generated everything that we see around us and things we don't even understand, that that would, from that simple formula, evolve into us and our ability to think and question and, and search and be a seeker. That to me is fascinating, Matt, and it leads me then very much where we're going next, which is into a discussion about spirituality, about God, about religion, because I think seekers all go there. To hear other episodes, go to DaveJinks.com.